On Agenda tonight, we hear reaction to last week's budget. Speaker Watterson and Tim Glover are concerned that commitment to rebuild the crumbling Castle Russian High School has weakened. Minister Laurie Hooper is well pleased at the £8 million a year increase in health budgets. And Claire Christian, MHK, explains why she voted against the budget. Should you be worried that it's not clear who'll foot the bill for all this? The former World War II base that became the South's High School has been in a deteriorating state of repair for a number of years, but was the pre-election assurance given by former MHK and Education Minister Graham Crajean not worth the paper it was written on? Tim Glover certainly has his doubts. The big shock for the south of the island is that uh, Castle Russian High School, which was in the budget, is now out of the budget. I don't think it is a shock, really, that those that were in the know, it was quite clear that claims that there were plans in place and it was just a a matter of uh, uh, getting on with the, the new build of a new school were way wider the mark. What's in the budget for this year is for plans and for design. So we know we're at the very start of the process. So if you go through uh, how long that process takes, we're probably looking at 2025 at the earliest to start seeing a new school come. There's a beautiful picture of the playing fields, but we ain't seeing a school being built. And, uh, you know, it it was in the pink book. The the £40 million was in in there, or money to that effect. Um, It's now taken out... Um, does, does this indicate that perhaps the Southern members have been uh, t- distracted with asking loads of silly questions or, or, or whatever it might be, rather than actually focusing on something which is such a big priority to the South? I brought Castle Russian High School up right at the very start of uh, my tenure as an MHK for Arbury, Castletown and Maloo. It is the number one concern in the south apart from housing that that was the the big one I think all around the island and we're looking to address that with the the housing board that's being established but Castle Russian High School came up time and time again the building's old it's not in the best of condition we've had the situation where we've had classes taking place in the youth club because they haven't got enough room within the school for the amount of pupils that are there it's high time that Castle Russian High School was taken a lot more seriously. We are impatient, as I said in my speech in the south of the island for Castle Russian High School, because I think we've got by far the most inferior of the secondary schools. So effectively, uh, your assessment then is that uh, the minister overpromised former MHK Graham Crajean uh, had made it very clear that this uh, the school was almost ready to go and would be starting uh, shortly after the election. And I don't buy that. And uh, another candidate, Steve Crowther, was also very big on calling that out. When asked to bring plans, there weren't any plans available. I know he had a desire for a very grandiose and eco uh, build, but we've got to live realistically within the budget, get the best that we can and future-proofed for the going forward. But we... We have to be realistic with the the budgets that we've got at the moment. We've just come out of a two-year pandemic. So I'm going to be very interested. It's one I'm going to be keeping an eye on. And uh, if they can bring that new build forward, 
and with the swimming pool. That's the other big important part that needs to be part of Castle Russian High School. Uh, I'll be certainly keeping an eye on it. It's a red line for me for next year's budget, this. I mean, obviously that's a, a fairly local issue to, to your constituency, but very important for the south of the island. But there was quite a lot um, talked about in, in, the, in, in relation to the Minister's budget speech. Um, but was there anything of actual substance in there? I was expecting a, a completely standstill budget. Uh, you have to bear in mind that um, the Treasury Minister and indeed the Council of Ministers, the current administration, haven't really been able to put their own handprint on this budget. A lot of it will have been put in place by the previous administration. It's that strange crossover time that you get. So now that we've got the island plan, now that we've got a budget build and a talk of budget reform uh, and, and a look at uh, at uh, benefits as well, that's been promised to simplifying the system. Next year's budget really is the one to look at to see how we're going because we have to now have the budget and the island plan running in tandem. And we need results. You you certainly do need results. I mean, we're a tenth of the way through the parliamentary time available uh, to this uh, this current uh, House of Keys. Um, It is fair to say that, as a seasoned observer, um, there doesn't seem to be much different in um, the Treasury Minister's speech uh, to what we might have heard five or even six, seven years ago from the, the Bell administration. And I, I agree, and that's why I'm saying they, they, re, they haven't been able to put their mark on this administration yet. You know the budget process starts at the end of August, beginning of September, and a lot of the factors that are taken into consideration were prior to the election. So I think you have to, to sort of put a circle around this budget and see what change is going to come. I must admit there were some good things. The carer's allowance uh, uh, going up so markedly by... Uh, 15%. I mean, that puts it up to £140.35 per week. And if you look at the UK, it's £69.70. So that's really a, a real positive there. But my concerns are obviously we've got inflation uh, at levels that we've not experienced for probably a generation now uh, beginning to feed through. We've got the oil situation we're going to have electricity uh, price rises coming through there's a lot of uh, are we done with covid are we done with brexit what if uh, russia starts putting military boots into ukraine there are so many factors outside of uh, of our control on this island that could come into play and affect the uh, economy and, and and what plans we're trying to trying to make we've got to be realistic we can only control what we can control so it was not a lot as you say Um, But it wasn't quite the standstill budget I was expecting where nothing really changed at all. There have been some strides made, but let's look at next year. That's when the proof of the pudding is going to be. Speaker of the House of Keys, Dewan Waters and SHK has been banging on about the need for budget reform for three terms now. So will it be fourth term lucky and why does it matter? Talking to Mr Speaker uh, about the budget... And it's fair to say that this, I mean, you've been in, in Timbald now uh, 15, is this your 16th year? Yes, something like that. And, and, and 
no no particular difference in this budget to many budgets we've heard before. No, it is a steady as she goes budget. I don't think anyone's uh, pretending that this year's budget is a particularly exciting thing that sets out a, a long-term strategy, a long-term vision. There's some real concerns in there um, about how they're going to handle inflation, um, about the ongoing structural deficit, despite the fact we have virtually no unemployment. So there are some, some big-ticket items that this administration is really going to have to solve um, ahead of next year. Um, and obviously one of my bugbears about budget reform as well, um, but really positive conversations with the, the minister about his plans to change things. And nice to hear those m- reflected in the speech. I think that's the first time I've heard a Treasury minister stand up on budget day or indeed any other day and actually say that budget reform is something that is required in this administration. So um, I'm really looking forward to the next 12 months. And in a way, like this sort of... Uh the case that I've just said there, you know, over the last 15 or 16 years, most of the budget speeches you've heard will have been remarkably similar, um, really does uh, explain why we need to have budget reform, because we, we, we're kind of set in a pattern, aren't we, which was developed when, probably going back to the days when ministerial government was f- first introduced on the island, and, and we it's, it's very difficult to escape from that pattern. Well, it, the, the budgets have changed so much in one way and so little in another. I mean, uh, when I joined in, in 2006, and you'll remember those early days for me well, in that the Treasury Minister was forever throwing money into the reserves and creating extra reserves to put all this money in because we're doing so well, and... Um, then 2011 came and the money was gone. The difference being 2006, you know, we're getting all this information about where all this money's come from and we're going to put it in these reserves and Tinwell really didn't have much say into where it went. Um, and then 2011 came along, the, the, the financial crash and the, the loss of the, the VAT agreement as it was then and all these cuts had to be made and Tinwell didn't get an awful lot to say as to where it went. And now here we are and we're still going along with the structural deficit and Tinwell's still not getting an awful lot of say in how it's all happening. Um, and that, to me, is the fundamental problem of this. And what you'll notice today, we're in that little magic moment that happens just for a few hours every year that the, is between the minister having stood up and given the budget and us voting on it. It only lasts a couple of hours, like a little mayfly uh, <coughs> springing into existence and disappearing the same day. Because that's it, it's done. This is the entire period of consultation that uh, you'll get about the budget and, and the process. So that's why it really does, one of the many reasons it really needs reform. And and I suppose um, as a layperson listening to this programme, they're, they're probably thinking, well, budget process, that's, that's, that's some sort of technical detail that doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is, are my kids going to be able to afford a house? And uh, uh, am I going to be able to afford the, the heating and, and things like this? So, so can you explain why or how you think, at least, uh, budget reform could make that dramatic difference? Well, it's that old accountancy expression, for the money. And if you see in the budget that that's where the money is, that's what's going to get done. So that's why watching the budget process and being part of the budget process is so important. Down the south, one of the biggest issues we had, not just housing, was also Castle Russian High School. It's fallen to bits. It's probably had not an awful lot of money spent on it since we were there. Um, and it, it needs desperately needs doing. Now, when you look at the budget, you can see that there's no shovels going into the ground for the foreseeable future. It's not going to be ready by the end of this administration, according to the budget. Now, you, can, you know, we had a different story in the Ireland plan last month. But this month, when you follow the money, you can see that it's still going to be in development in 2026-27. That's not a good story. That's not acceptable. And the members for the South really we are pushing hard at the education minister and the treasury minister to make sure that that money is available 
for the plans to be developed, for the uh, budget to be there, and for the school to be built, because that's what means something realistic to the people on the ground. And and is it fair to say that the Southern members are um, having conversations together and working as a team to try and deliver this? Because I, I think it's fair to say that all we ever really see is, is uh, lots of questions from, from, from one or two uh, members. Uh, but uh, perhaps the, the, the action in terms of delivery of, of, of the issues that really matter in the South are uh, maybe not as, as obvious. Well, it, certainly in, in fairness to all my colleagues, you can't get a cigarette paper between us in terms of our desire and our enthusiasm to get uh, Castle Russian High School developed. Um, the need to refurbish the or rebuild the local pool as well. Um, and these are things that we have had um, with the Minister for Education, Sport and Culture and the department members. Um, it's something that we are going to continue to press on. And this is where, again, the budget process is really helpful. And so far, all the Southern members that have stood up and spoken have said that, you know, development of Castle Washington High School, getting that finished by the end of this administration is an absolute red line when it comes to supporting the budget. Um, so these are the matters of confidence in the government of the day. And one of them is going to be about getting Castle Washington High School built. Health Minister Laurie Hooper seems rather happy with the health spending commitments in the budget. Talking to uh, the health minister, Laurie Hooper, who must be absolutely delighted with this budget, uh, commitments to sort out all, all the, the funding gaps for, for, for your department. Um, so, you, you, you quids in. Yeah, I think broadly you're right. I mean, this is a, it's been quite a healthy budget for the department, but I think the key, the key thing is that it's more that it's recognising that a problem existed. I mean, for the last couple of years, you've seen health come back every year and ask for an additional 8 to, to 10 million every single year. And there was sort of a refusal by previous governments to acknowledge that that was a systemic underlying issue. They kept referring to it as overspends and other money isn't being spent in the right places. But actually what we know, and what we know from the Sir Jonathan Michael report, is the reality health has been underfunded for, for a long time. And so health has almost been in this impossible position where they're trying to come in on budget, which we all know isn't enough whilst also trying to tackle some of these systemic underlying issues. And the Transformation Project helps with a bit of that, but I think this acknowledgement that we know that the baseline budget was wrong, we know that they weren't quite allocating quite the right amounts to it, and the fact that Treasury have committed to that going forward, so this new funding model as set out in the Sir Jonathan Michael report is, is the way to go, that's a really positive step in the right direction. The challenge now, of course, is going to be Manx Care, making sure they come in on budget to prove to everyone that actually this is the right thing to do and that we are capable of, of managing our own money and providing value and efficient services for the max taxpayer. And are you prepared to put your neck on the block and say that this time next year you'll be within budget? Well, that's what I said in my speech, that in terms of we're coming back for a supplementary vote again in March, because again, the last year's budget didn't quite get us over the line in terms of recognising this gap. But I would very much hope that now supplementary votes of this nature would be very much the exception rather than the rule. I can't hand on heart say it's definitely not going to happen because health is very much a demand-led service. And I I wouldn't want to be in a position where you're denying care to somebody because, well, the budget's gone, sorry, I can't provide you with the treatment that you need. I'd definitely be willing to go and fight that case in front of Timwald. But actually, in that really unexpected out of the out of the ordinary thing happens you would think actually this new model should be enough uh, to help fund the health service properly and so we shouldn't be seeing them, them come back every year asking for extra top-ups and and just to quantify for people who who, who haven't uh, religiously read through every single page of the budget in effect you're, you're looking at around about an eight million pounds increase a year over the next five years uh, to, to to sort of bridge this this gap 
Yeah, so that will depend on the rate of CPI. So the actual funding formula is CPI plus 3.03%. So yes, at current rates, you're looking at about 8 million. Um, but if the CPI goes up, obviously the amount goes up. If it goes down, the amount goes down. It's worth noting that that's going to be an average rate. And so what I think we, we need personally is some kind of mechanism that lets the health service either hold money over or bring money forward from either this year's budget into next year or bringing something forward because you never quite know when the demand is going to hit. And they do need a bit of flexibility, I think, in terms of being able to pump prime some of their spending, some of their investing to make sure they can make savings further down the line. And equally, they need the ability to maybe hold some funding back and say, well, actually, we're going to do a bigger project next year rather than doing it in, in bits and pieces. So there is a bit of extra flexibility, I think, to be developed, which I'm talking to Treasury about at the moment is to say, how might that work? Uh, but it, ultimately, yeah, you're right, you're talking at roughly 8 million a year at the moment. Uh, but that is, it's ultimately necessary to close the funding gap that David talked about, which is going to be around 42 million by the end of this administration if we don't do something. A little mischievous now. Um, you were five years as, as Laurie Hooper MHK uh, and five months now as uh, Honourable Laurie Hooper MHK Minister. Um, would Laurie Hooper MHK over the past five years have been have supportive of this budget, do you think? Or would he maybe have said things like, um, you know, uh, inflation running at 5%, um, the public are really struggling, uh, particularly people on, on, on low incomes. Uh, would Laurie Hooper of five, over the last five years have been concerned at the fairly limited amounts of funding being put towards uh, the housing crisis, for example? So I think that's a fair question. Uh, I think one of the reasons, I mean, I voted against a budget in 2017 because of the underfunding of the health service and the police service at the time. So I think in some ways... That having some of those things change now is almost validating a position that I've held for, for a long time. So it'd be hard for me to vote against something that I've been arguing for for years. Um, but on the flip side, I think in, in part you're right, there are some challenges coming ahead, housing being a very good example of that in terms of, well, how do we solve that that challenge and is the two million announced going to be enough? I don't think it is. Um, but I think as David's acknowledged in his speech, that's very much, uh, well, it's a starter. Let's use that money to pump prime some projects and see, see where we go from here. So it's good in some respects that this administration is actually acknowledging these problems and acknowledging that they're not free as well, that you're not going to solve the housing crisis by just tweaking the planning regulations and, and letting people build a few more properties. Actually, it's more fundamental than that. It is going to need government investment. You see the same with climate change. It's going to need investment. Now, I use the word investment here rather than spending because a lot of it will pay back in the long run. It'll reduce your costs elsewhere in the system. You know, a proper housing first model, for example, reduces your care costs, reduces your criminal justice costs. So actually, in the round, it's the right thing to do and also it will save money. And so some of this stuff, it's about making sure the money is spent up front rather than waiting to see what problems occur and then trying to pick up the pieces after something has happened to, to someone. So I think in short, yes, I would have supported this as a backbencher because it is trying to tackle some of these challenges. It isn't perfect by any stretch. I think everyone will, will acknowledge there's some bits in it which maybe you'd think, oh, I wouldn't have done that myself or there'd been something different done. Uh, but actually, as a, as a broad budget document, as these always are, I think, yes, it would have, would have achieved my support just on the basis that it's doing the things that I've been banging on about for five years. There always has to be one MHK to spoil the Tinwell Lovin book. Was Claire Christian right to vote against the budget? She tells us why she did. Yes, I have um, several concerns about the budget. I've looked into it quite in depth. Um, and, it, you know, we're looking at a budget today. I know there's obviously a lot more reform that's going to come, and I really respect the Minister. Um, he is going to do that. But the budget we're looking at today still is in the old um, system, and so we've not had much input to it. I, I was 
surprised, uh, I have to say, that uh, so much of it seemed familiar. I mean, I, I lost my seat in 2016, but uh, it was almost as if um, I was hearing the same uh, budget speech as the Treasury Minister in the Bell administration. The uh, Treasury Minister talked about uh, this is setting out the direction of travel uh, for the next uh, five years, uh, and yet... There didn't seem to be anything in it. If, if, to, to me, the cars seem to be parked by the side of the road. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think there is there were some positives, but they were trying to mask on what was going on behind the scenes. Um, so you saw um, increases in some areas, and obviously um, increase in government costs in other areas, and that's basically going to counteract um, the goodwill from this um, budget, which is what I was trying to get across in my speech. Um, so it's taking you know taking from the poor and giving to the poor at the same time and it just doesn't work in that way for me and, and you know it is fair to say that anybody trying to um, listen to the budget speech and trying to understand what was going on uh, it, who didn't know anything about Manx politics might might have actually struggled to to, to follow much of this uh, as I think uh, you and certainly other members have pointed out increases where, where they have occurred in terms of uh, things like benefits or um, improvements in taxation, allowance, things like this, um, are going to be um, completely swallowed up by uh, the level of inflation at the moment. Yes, and that's that's a huge concern. So, you know, 3.1% increase for the pensioners and 5% for EPA or income support um, claimants. And that's just going to be completely not going to touch the science, quite frankly, with, with inflation. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting because we, the Select um, Poverty Committee um, last year, they found that obviously um, the uh, rates should be equitable to um, inflation and to minimum wage, to living wage uh, for pensioners and for the lowest earners. And this budget doesn't really do that. So we've we've agreed that as a Timwald resolution, but this budget doesn't really go far enough to actually look at the pensioners, look at what's being given them. And many other members said exactly the same. They were worried about the 3.1%, but none of them really actually kind of took it and said, this isn't acceptable. And that's what I did today. One of the, the, the positives, and, and you know, this was a, a fairly big um, spending commitment um, without any obvious um, explanations to where the money was going to come from, uh, was the, um, the, the funding gap in, in relation to the health and social care uh, sector or, or, or services. Um, it, that's going to rise to about a 40, 42 million equivalent by the end of this five-year term. So £42 million, pounds, that's a lot of money that government is committing itself to spend um, with no uh, indication as to, as to any p- potential changes in taxation. So I think this government has, although this government say that most of the budget was decided last October or September, um, there's clearly a focus that's happened over these last couple of months because they're increasing spend on services and thus not, not increasing taxes, as you've just said. Um, so they're, they're adjusting their priorities, and, and that's a positive action. Um, but what does concern me, and we're talking about concerns here, is that to do that, to be able to do that, we have to make sure we don't overspend in other areas. So we're going to have to be really strong with infrastructure, with um, capital projects, to make sure we don't make the same mistakes as we have done in the last administration. You're voting against the budget, uh, primarily. Well, I think you, you mentioned two things. First of all, the, 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 the lack of increases for the, the 
for people most vulnerable in society um, or lack of support for those people. And the other one was in relation to a housing refurbishment scheme in your constituency. Uh, do you want to tell us about that? Yes, so since becoming an MHK and meeting people, um, the residents of Spring Valley, um, I've seen the conditions that they've been living in and the, there's been a constant turmoil of whether it's going to be refurbished or whether it's going to be rebuilt. Um, and it is, a, it is, as I understand it, a rebuilt um, programme. But this is something that, that has not necessarily been promised, but there is budget in the budget for that refurbish and rebuild, but it's actually not going to be used till the end of this administration. And that's not acceptable for me because we've got a housing crisis. Um, so if we, have a, if we are acknowledging we have a housing crisis, we should be putting this to for the foremost and front um, end of priorities. So I cannot support this budget when, yes, it might change and, and the minister may say to me, of course, we'll move it and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make it a priority. But it's not a priority right now. In this document that I'm seeing today, it is not a priority. And so I have to put my marker down to say, get it changed. And is, is that not, though, partially a Douglas Borough Council responsibility? Because presumably Douglas Borough Council are the housing authority. They then submit the, the, the funding bid to, to Treasury. So uh, is it definitely a, a Treasury issue where Treasury is saying no that's going to have to wait or is this uh, Douglas Borough Council perhaps not being quick enough? Well you know it's in the budget so it, it, the budget is coming from government um, now in this in the sense that obviously it is a Douglas Borough Council um, uh, oversee um, and it will go through them and they will will obviously uh, put their applications in etc but if the if the budget isn't accepting that this isn't going to be done in the next five years then how is that going to actually come to fruition? So I hope it does, and, and as I said, if, if they can convince me that it will actually happen, then fantastic. But I, And they may even do that in, in the uh, minister's summing up speech. But at the moment as it stands, Spring Valley isn't going to be refurbished or rebuilt in these next five years, and that really concerns me for, the, for these people. We're missing an opportunity. We could be rebuilding more houses We're in this crisis, eco-houses, ones that are um, energy uh, efficient um, for some of the lowest earners. We've got a, a climate emergency, that's fine, 25 million, uh, possibly 42 million, although it's not entirely clear how that's going to be spent. Um, we've got a housing crisis. And it's a million this year, a million next year. Is, is, is that, in your mind, government demonstrating where its priorities lie? So I haven't looked at, obviously, the in-depth, how much that two million for the Housing um, Com Communities Board is going to be made up or, or how that's going to be spent. But I would presume that um, over the next five years, the Capital, um, the capital Works Projects um, unit will come forward with um, supplementary requests for funding. Um, so I don't necessarily think that two million probably attributes to how much is going to be spent on housing. Um, but equally, you know, that needs to be addressed and that needs to be clarified. There you have it. I suppose we couldn't have expected anything too radical in this first Ashford budget, but unpopular decisions on how all the spending commitments will be funded are best made earlier on in an administration's term of office. Everyone wants good services, but paying for them is a different matter. Minister Ashford had an opportunity to follow the UK and increase national insurance contributions, a move which could have brought in tens of millions of pounds, but with the economy still recovering from two years of Covid restrictions and inflation expected to remain relatively high, the Minister and his Council of Ministers colleagues have instead chosen again to rely on our hard-earned reserves. 
tougher decisions will probably need to be taken next year. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn, Goromayu. Thanks for listening.